There is more to reality than what we can see and touch. There's a spiritual realm that exists beyond the material world that we are anchored to in this life. And that spiritual realm plays a significant role in our lives, whether we're aware of it or not. It's kind of like air. We don't see air. We can't grab hold of air. But air is there. The effects of air can be felt as it blows across our skin, for example. We breathe it in and out, and our body knows how to extract life-sustaining oxygen from the air. Air is all around us. If we had the ability to see on an atomic level, we would see that there is a lot going on around us. But because we can't see it, we're oblivious to a lot of that activity. Well, the spiritual realm is a little bit like that, too. It's all around us all of the time. We are in the spiritual realm, even though we may not perceive it. It's real, and the things taking place in the spiritual realm can affect our lives. Not all the stuff going on in the spiritual realm, though, has the best of intentions for us. Ephesians 6 12, Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In 1 Peter 5, 8, it says, Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Whether we're aware of it or not, we are in the middle of a spiritual war for the hearts, the minds, the souls of ourselves and every other person on this planet. One of the things that we see in the book of Daniel is this spiritual dimension of reality. The visions and the dreams that Daniel and others have, for example, they point to a realm beyond this physical reality. Angels watching the activities of people, delivering messages from God to Daniel and others, protecting Daniel and others from things like fiery furnaces and hungry lions. They all show that there is a whole lot more going on around us than we might realize. Well, chapter 10 of Daniel, which is where we're going to be at today, It provides us with the clearest look yet into this spiritual realm and the war that's going on, that's being fought in that realm. The final three chapters of Daniel, chapters 10, 11, and 12, record the fourth and the final vision of Daniel. In chapter 10, it tells us how this vision came to Daniel. Chapter 11 presents the vision in large part. And then chapter 12 is the conclusion and the final words of the book. So flip over to Daniel chapter 10, and we're going to begin right in the very first verse of uh, Daniel chapter 10. Verse 1, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. 
So the description of this vision, it begins in a similar way as the other three visions of Daniel have by establishing the time and the location of when this vision occurred. This vision takes place in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. About two years have passed since the vision in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel tells us here that this vision concerns a great war, which will be described in chapter 11. But before this physical war on earth is described, we're given a glimpse of a greater war happening in the spiritual realm, which we'll see here in chapter 10. In verse 2, it says, At that time I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. Well, just before he receives this vision that's about to be described, Daniel had spent three weeks, it says, in very intense prayer, mourning, eating only very basic foods to maintain his strength, not indulging himself in any way. Well, why is he praying so intensely at this time? Why is he mourning? Well, we're not told specifically. But it's believed that he's probably praying for the Jewish pilgrims that have returned to Jerusalem over the past couple of years who are facing incredible difficulties as they attempt to reestablish their homes in Jerusalem and begin to worship the Lord again at the side of the temple. You might remember that back in chapter 9, Daniel had discovered through reading the prophecies of Jeremiah that the seven years of exile of the Jewish people was nearing its end. Well, it's now a couple of years later, and the first group of Jews have returned to Jerusalem. But it's not been easy for them. They have faced all kinds of hardships. The story of these people returning Jerusalem to Jerusalem from Babylonian captivity is told in the book of Ezra, if you're interested and you want to take a look at that a little bit later. Verse 4, he says, On the 24th, Day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up, and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his face like lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze and his voice like the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it, but such terror overwhelmed them that they fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deeply pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground." So on the 24th of the month of Nisan, which is around March-April of our calendar, this heavenly being appears to Daniel in a vision while he is standing on the banks of the Tigris River. The Tigris River was about 20 miles from the city of Babylon at that time. And based on the description here, Daniel gives of this heavenly being, it's, it's not surprising, is it, that the men who are with him run and hide themselves. Well, Daniel, he falls on his face and he passes out. Well, who is this heavenly being? We're not told. Some think this is an angel of some kind. 
Others think that it's Christ himself before he entered into our world as a human being. The description here is similar to the description of Christ in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, which inclines us to think that this may indeed be Christ. We can take a look at that description over in Revelation chapter 1, and you'll see what uh, we're talking about here. 1, verse 12 says, I turned around to see the voice. This is John talking about the vision that he's having in the book of Revelation. He says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. You'll notice a lot of similarities between that description of Jesus and this description that Daniel has over here in his vision in chapter 10. Well, assuming that this being described in verses 5 through 9 was Christ, then this other heavenly being approaches Daniel in verse 10. It says, A hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. This being touches Daniel, reviving him and helping him up on his hands and knees after he had passed out. Now, if this being described in 5 through 9 was an angel rather than Christ, and this may be the same angel. In either case, this angel here now in verse 10 is not identified by name, but many scholars believe this is probably Gabriel again, the same angel that was present in Daniel's vision in chapter 9. And as we mentioned before in Daniel 9, these Real angels, they have no resemblance to these cute, chubby cherubs of popular culture like the precious moments figurines that some of you maybe have on your bookshelves at home and what are depicted on Hallmark greeting cards. It, there's no resemblance at all. Real angels are terrifying beings to be in the presence of. Daniel is trembling in fear right now. And then in verse 11, it says, He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I am about to speak to you, and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Daniel, you are highly esteemed, he says. You might remember, this is the same thing the angel Gabriel had said to Daniel in chapter 9 when he first encounters him. The Hebrew literally means you are very precious to the Lord. The Lord treasures you. You are loved beyond measure. What wonderful words these would be for Daniel to hear as he finds himself trembling before this terrifying angelic being. Daniel, he manages to gather enough strength to stand up, though his knees are still knocking like crazy. And then in verse 12 it says, Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding 
and to humble yourself before your God. Your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. Well, we have a very interesting description here, don't we, about stuff taking place in the spiritual realm. Daniel is told that from the very first moment that he began to pray and seek the Lord, that his words were heard and this messenger, believed to be the angel Gabriel, was sent to him in response to Daniel's prayer. But this messenger Gabriel tells Daniel that he was resisted by the prince of the Persian kingdom for 21 days until Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help him overcome this other heavenly being, the prince of the Persian kingdom, who was opposing him. Let's talk for a moment about some of this stuff having to do with the spiritual realm. The first thing I want us to take note of is how the answer to Daniel's prayer was being responded to immediately. But Daniel receiving an answer was being delayed because of conflicts going on in the spiritual realm which Daniel knew nothing about. There are times when our prayers are not being answered the way that we want them to because God has a different plan for us and the things that we're praying about. It's not a question of there being some kind of battle in the spiritual realm that's holding things up. It's an issue of us being on the wrong page. We're not on the same page as the Lord. James 4.3 tells us, When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. That's not always the case, but that is certainly the case sometimes, isn't it? Our Heavenly Father is wise and good. And similar to a wise and good human father, he's not going to give his children everything they want. Some of the things that we want are harmful. Your three-year-old might want to play with a loaded gun, but you're obviously not going to satisfy that request. At least, I hope not. There are things that we ask for which are the equivalent of a loaded gun. And he's not going to give them to us. He says and said, I love you too much to give that thing to you. Sometimes, though, there may be a spiritual battle taking place, which our prayers are playing a part in. And when that's the case, it's important for us to persevere in our praying. We need to keep at it, no matter if we see any results or not. In Daniel's case here, there was a battle going on in the spiritual realm for 21 days before this heavenly messenger was able to finally get to Daniel. There's more going on around us than we can see or know, and our prayers can have more influence on those things than we might realize too. James 5.16, for example, James gives us this example. He says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 
Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James gives us that example to remind us that prayer can be very powerful. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Paul writes about this spiritual realm in the armor of God. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Notice how prominent prayer is featured in this description of spiritual warfare. How do we know when what's going on around us is spiritual warfare? Well, we can't always know. Daniel wasn't aware of all that was happening around him. We certainly don't know everything that's happening around us either. But here are some signs that can indicate that we may be in a spiritual battle. When we see ourselves in the middle of conflict and chaos that doesn't seem to make any sense. When it seems like the harder we try to make things right, the wronger they get. When we find ourselves already overwhelmed with the immensity of a situation and it continues to balloon out of control. When the level of discouragement and fear that we're feeling is way out of proportion with reality. When our imagination is running away with itself, manufacturing crazy amounts of drama. When every effort for reconciliation on our part just produces more conflict rather than peace. When we find our head filled with self-accusations and guilt over everything in our life when we're being tempted to do stuff that was unthinkable before. When we see these kinds of things, we may very well be in the midst of a spiritual battle. And for a spiritual battle, we need spiritual weaponry. 2 Corinthians 10.3, Paul writes, For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Physical weapons are useless 
in a spiritual battle. Imagine yourself in a war being fought in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and you're floating in a small rubber raft armed with nothing but a pocket knife. Your enemy is a nuclear-powered submarine armed with a full complement of torpedoes. Well, first, you, would, you wouldn't even be able to detect the whereabouts of the submarine unless it chose to reveal itself by surfacing with an ear eye shot. If you did figure out where the sub was, you would be unable to catch it with nothing but your little oars. The sub could capsize you with its wake produced from the speed of its nuclear reactor that propels it. If the submarine happened to park long enough for you to row up next to it, well, you wouldn't be able to do much damage to it, unable to penetrate its thick steel hull. The most that you might be able to do would bang on its side and be annoying a little bit, scratch your initials in the paint with your pocket knife. The submarine, on the other hand, could fire a battery of torpedoes at you and blow you into bits. Well, trying to fight a spiritual battle with physical weapons is more absurd than that. What are the spiritual weapons that we've been given to fight with? Well, we read that passage in Ephesians 6. We have the belt of God's truth. We have the breastplate of righteousness of Jesus. We have the shoes of the gospel, which has made peace between us and God and can make peace between us and others. We have the shield of faith in God's goodness and love and grace expressed through Jesus Christ. We have the helmet of our salvation, which has been earned for us by Jesus Christ. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, declaring what's right and what is wrong, what is true and what is a lie. And we have prayer with which we can talk to the Lord. Keeping with the soldier illustration, prayer is like our field radio. With our field radio, we can speak to our commanding officer to get guidance and battle plans. We can ask for reinforcements and supplies. We can report on our progress. We can seek help for needed repairs, we can request a full-blown air assault on the enemy. Going back to Daniel chapter 10. Verse 13 says, But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me because I was detained there with the prince of Persia. This particular demon, the prince of Persia, had some kind of controlling power and influence over the Persian kingdom. 
Look at what's said in Daniel 12.1. It says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, Daniel, Michael is the angel who has responsibility for watching over Daniel's people, the Jews. This is interesting, isn't it? Do all kingdoms, nations, peoples, seats of government and power have angels assigned to them to influence, to control, to protect them? Maybe. We don't know that, but maybe. Are demonic forces at work at this very moment in the various seats of government and power in the world? Absolutely. There is no question about that. Like this prince of the kingdom of Persia, certainly there are demonic forces at work in these places of power. Think about the continual conflict and chaos that exists between nations and peoples throughout the world and throughout history. Just as things settle down in one place, trouble flares up in another. Constantly. The sinfulness of human beings obviously has a big hand in all of that. But who's stirring things up and throwing gasoline on the fire all the time? The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In this scientifically explained world that we live in, there is little room allowed for spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms as an explanation for the chaos in this world, but it is certainly a viable explanation, regardless of how well it sits with our overly materialistic worldview. And we see that displayed here in Daniel. There have been struggles behind struggles throughout human history. We may never know the details of the many battles that have been fought in the spiritual realm over the human race. On the one hand, to destroy us, and on the other hand, to protect and save us. There's no doubt, though, that battles have been fought and are being fought and will be fought until Jesus Christ throws Satan and his minions into the lake of fire. Verse 15. While he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was speechless. Then one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overwhelmed with anguish because of the vision, my Lord, and I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you, my Lord? My my strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. When Daniel hears about this great conflict that has been taking place in the spiritual realm. He's he's overcome, it says, with anguish. His strength is gone. He can hardly breathe. The, the, The trauma of this encounter is hard for us to really fully get our heads around. 18, again, the one who looked like a man touched me and gave me strength. Do not be afraid, you who are highly esteemed, he said. Peace. Be strong now. Be strong. When he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. 
So this angel again touches Daniel, gives him strength and encouragement enough for, he, for him to, to at least continue on and give Daniel this message now. And in verse 20, it says, So he said, Do you know why I have come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. So this angel, who is believed to be Gabriel, and the angel Michael, are going to continue to do battle against these other heavenly beings that are at work in Persia and then in Greece, seeking the destruction of God's people. You might remember from previous dreams and visions in the book of Daniel that the Greeks will conquer the Persians. And we learn here that the demonic forces are at work behind all of that conflict and chaos in both Persia and in Greece. It says, Michael, your prince. As we've already noted, Michael is apparently the guardian angel of Daniel's people, the Jews, who fights for them in the spiritual realm. A great war has been and continues to be fought in the spiritual realm. Flip over to Revelation 12 for a minute. We're given a description there of some of this kind of conflict that will be taking place in latter days just to help us see this. It says in verse 7, for example, it says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. That's some wild stuff, isn't it? In closing, you know, we have read and talked about some interesting things today, haven't we? In this chapter of Daniel. And a question that may be on your mind is, well, should we be afraid of the demonic forces around us? Depends. For those who have received Jesus Christ as their Savior and are following Him with their life, we're told in 1 John 4, 4, that the one who is in you, Jesus, is greater and more powerful than those demonic forces that are in the world. Amen. You've been given the armor of God 
to overcome these spiritual forces, Ephesians 6. We looked at that earlier. In James 4, 7, James says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But for those who have not received Jesus Christ into their life, they have no protection. They have no weapons. They have no power and authority over these spiritual forces. Well, maybe you're saying, well, I don't believe in all of this stuff. You not believing in it doesn't change the reality of it. 2 Corinthians 4.4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Maybe you've been blinded. 1 John 3.8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus came to set us free from the power of these spiritual forces of evil and to bring us into the wonderful life-giving light of God. Jesus, God the Son, entered our world as a human being to rescue us from sin and eternal death, from being forever separated from God. He died as a sacrifice for our sins and he came back to life on the third day to give us eternal life. And that eternal life begins the moment we receive Jesus Christ into our life as our Savior and we begin following Him. His life grows in us. We become more and more like Him as we walk with Him. We are given a new nature and a new life in Him. And fear of all of these lesser powers, whether spiritual or physical, are taken away in Jesus Christ. They're all inferior to him, and they have no power over him. And those who are in Christ are shielded by him. Amen? I encourage you to ask Jesus Christ into your life today if you've not done that yet. Confess to God that you have lived your life for yourself rather than him. Ask him to forgive you. Acknowledge that Jesus Died as a sacrifice for your sin. Ask him to come into your life and give you his new life. Begin following him. Do that today. Let's bow our heads. Father, we, we thank you for these words of Daniel today that remind us that there's a whole lot more going on. around us than what we see, what we perceive, Lord. We also thank you, Father, that this spiritual realm that is so powerful, that we are kept safe in Christ, that he is our great Savior, our great victor, and he's our armor, our protector. He's our great guardian. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us today, you would remind us today of your love, that we are precious to you. We are greatly esteemed by you. 
I ask that you would remind us of that this week, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.